I see that you're enticed by my daughter's awesome rocking tits. Then bathe with my daughter in the fountain of Varna. Appease the gods by lathering her boobs with soapy suds. Baby, baby, it's a cool world. Ugh, the worst one. The worst Ooh, one. Baby, baby, it's a cool world. Da 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 da, Cat Stevens. Boom, <laughs> baby, talking about Rap She. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is I Think You'd Be Into It, the podcast about your faves. I'm your host, Brandon Beck. I like how you don't have a thing you're into loaded, but that you were ready with. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, no the 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 second I put together, oh I can I can take the movie Cool World and then do uh, sing it to Cat Stevens's Cat Stevens's uh, Wild World. Uh, that you got yourself a surefire bit there, my friends. You know you could also do you you could also do Fire and Ice with Pat Benatar's song Fire and Ice. That is that is true. You that could do that. Oh, what else? Oh, or you could also just do uh, his 1973 and 1975 uh, film, Hey, Good Looking, to the Hank Williams classic, Hey, Good Looking. There you go. And then there's Coonskin. <laughs> and, then, and then there is Coonskin, which I am not going to get anywhere near. Ooh, all right. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting ahead of ourselves. I am your other host, Beth Scorzato, and we are joined today by our wonderful guest, Kash Abdumalik. Hello. Hey, guys. How you doing? <laughs> I'm coming out swinging. <laughs> you, of course, know uh, Cash from, oh, God, you've been all, all over uh, TV commercials and stuff lately. You're the co-host of The Nightcap with Stacey Brewmaker. You're uh, a, a member of our sketch team, Tantrum, and I put sketch team in, in heavy, heavy quotes these <laughs> oh, days. Oh, good. I didn't need to make the joke. <laughs> sketch team. That's awesome. Uh, That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 lo- I love Tantrum, but the only thing stopping Tantrum is ourselves. Yeah. Uh, Tantrum is not not as much of a sketch team as a team of sketchy people. God, yeah. So it's less a sketch team and more of a loose sketch collective. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's but the just... idea of a sketch team. Yep. I mean, but I the... guess we'll do a show. Yeah, but will one third of your members be there? Who knows? <laughs> we, we are that most needed and useful thing in 2020. A team that thrives in the live environment. I mean, and honestly, the, the crazy thing is I, I, I do miss every single one of you guys very much, very, very much. But given the opportunity, uh, if we were all in the same room, would we write? Who knows? Oh, God, no. <laughs> if, if the opportunity is given to us to all be in the same room, we will do everything in our power to make it not happen. Yeah. I mean, that's like last year when you guys went to Austin, uh, Brandon was like, well... Traveling with Tantrum is an experience, and it's probably good you didn't come because you would have killed us all. Oh wait, I wasn't even—I uh, wasn't there for that one. But I think you could probably agree still that traveling with Tantrum could be qualified as an experience. That's true. I mean, Portland—we went to Portland and it rocked. It was great. I mean, and again, it was—it was really just me and Musil, Emma, and Maria just getting wasted, and Cheyenne. <laughs> <laughs> Being Cheyenne. as well. It was great. We had a really fun time. 
the 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 patio uh, the smoking patio in our collective Airbnb for uh, for Austin sounded like a goddamn tuberculosis ward. Ugh. Did, did Musil just sleep out there? Was that just his room? Did he ever uh, stop smoking? <laughs> Musil didn't, but Emma actually did one night. That's nice. <laughs> uh, there, well, there was a hammock out there. That was that was pretty nice. Got to tell Tantrum to listen to this episode because we drag them all for five minutes at the beginning. <laughs> I love every single one of them. Oh, yeah. No, t- <laughs> Tantrum. So do we. So do we. Tantrum is the closest thing I have to a comedy family. Um, and like 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 any family, we're able to get together when we can. <laughs> well put. Well put. Well put. And tolerate each other for as long as possible out of the deepest love. At least we all, at least none of us have really fucked up politics. No, yeah, no, that. no, no, that, so. that is... Uh, I did. It, it was very exciting for me when uh, you and Maria got married. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you because you so of quarantine. But I was like, oh, good. Now there's another tantrum spouse, so I'm not the only one legally obligated to take care of you assholes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy that we've been married for six months and we haven't yeah. seen anybody. Yeah, you got it in right under the wire there. We, we really did. I mean, because we started losing a whole bunch of like things, possibility for venues and our honeymoon and all this other stuff. But I think we just really wanted to do it. So then we did it and it's been fucking pretty great. So where did you wind up doing it? It was I was outdoors somewhere, but we, I don't. We found a really quiet cove in um, Elysian Park. Oh, nice. And it's kind of nice because we both used to live so near to it and – you know, um, her parents, my parents, my best friend, her best friend, um, my brother and my other friends from New York couldn't even make it because, you know, of quarantine. So sure. we just all kind of gathered there in the morning and it was it was one of the greatest days of my life. It was great. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was really nice. Well, that is lovely. Congratulations. Thank you. It's nice you guys got a, a nice moment before the entire world was put on a screeching halt. Yeah, I mean, uh, here's, I mean, when it does open back up, if it opens back up, um, we will have a big reception and it'll be like, hey, we've been married for a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, buy, buy us a blender. We've been saying we were going to have like a party in LA about it, like for the entire three years we've been married because we've just yeah. never had the time or money or anything. Yeah. Actually, though, fun fact. Uh, about uh, the Monday that this episode is going to come out is two days before our three-year wedding anniversary. Well, that's yeah. nice. You guys should hang out at your house together. That'd be fun. We're going to do that. Yeah, it's going to be great. That's our big plans. Good call. Good call. That's smart. We should make specifically sure to not go anywhere all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's rare. Where when that happens, right? We're going to have a nice little staycation. <laughs> you know, I was, I was laughing about this uh, earlier today. I realized that when this whole thing started happening, like in March, I was like, wow, we're not going to be able to do shit till September. Watch. And now September's right around the corner, and I'm like, ugh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, when it gets cold, it's only going to get worse because people are going to get sick because of the coldness, and then it's just going to fucking spread like wildfire because people are doing everything. The first thing that really put it into perspective for me was early on uh, when it was supposed to just be a two-week shutdown, uh, somebody on Twitter uh, pointed out the joke in 30 Rock that Matt Damon's character, who's a pilot, makes, which is that the longest amount of time you can tell a crowd, hey, we're going to need to wait a little bit longer, is 30 minutes. Because <laughs> otherwise, it's too long and they'll start to get mad. But 30 minutes is a small enough unit of time that like people are like, okay, just another 30 minutes. And it felt like we were there 
yeah. for a good little while of just yeah. like, oh, two weeks is the longest they'll they'll tell us because if you tell people more than two weeks, people will flip out. Right. Turns out people flipped out anyway. <laughs> yeah, the re- the world really went fucking ape shit. <laughs> yeah. We uh we didn't nail it on that one, guys. Nope. Nope, still inside. Till next September, we'll see. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> that's the best part about re- recording podcasts during quarantine is just those occasional moments of like remembering your circumstances. Ooh, we're all bummed now. There's little things here and there. Like I, uh, I borrowed a stud finder from uh, another comedian, Dave Chacho, and Dave Chacho is part of the Pack Theater. And we were driving there to just drive it back to him today, and we passed Alyssa, another member of Tantrum, running down the street. Yeah, she actually lived pretty close to us. I'm surprised I haven't seen her yet. Yeah. When we, well, actually, when we used to, you know, be allowed to go places, I would see her super regularly. When I would go in to get coffee at the coffee bean in the morning across from me, she would be in there working. Nice. Like we, because we both live in the same neighborhood. Yeah. I'm basic and go to the Starbucks that's closer. I mean, that's the thing that I miss the most about open Los Angeles. I mean, running into someone and just coming up behind them and being like, hey, asshole, what's going on? And then <laughs> they're just like, oh, oh, hey, man. Oh, yeah. I That's also how I approach friends in public when I see them. That's not a joke. Friends, <laughs> friends, family. It's everything. Yeah. That was your pickup line for me, wasn't it? When, when we first met? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, it, it didn't occur to me until like early on in quarantine just how much how much of my socialization was from like being at shows or band practice or being, you know, on the patio at the theater and not having those like outlets now is just like it's really starting to starting to build up, you guys. We were trying to move on from being bummed, Brandon. Uh, you dove right back into it. We now know what you're not into. What are you into this week? Y'all like Pomplamoose, right? You can't, you can't not like Pomplamoose. Pomplamoose are are uh, and not he's not being douchey about fruit. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not specifically using the French pronunciation of grapefruit. Um, no, Pomplamoose. He's not Lacroix. Uh, no, not not Lacroix. Uh, Pomplamoose are more than a flavor. They're a uh, duo made up of Natalie Dawn, who's a singer, and Jack Conti, who is the Patreon guy, um, among other things. And they've been they've had a, a band as as uh, both a, a duo and a couple f- for like fifteen years now, and they're they're great, and they put out really delightful uh, covers and, and originals and stuff. Um, but the sort of the thing about Pomplamoose is that Natalie Dawn sings on all of it, and she's got an amazing voice, but uh, you know it's still just one person. And so the thing I'm into this week is. Uh, the dude from Pomplamoose's side band, Scary Pockets, which is basically just Pomplamoose with a rotating cast of singers um, doing like smooth funk versions of you know all your favorite pop hits um, and like weird 70s covers Uh, it's it's very much Beth sort of described it as postmodern jukebox but they only do soul that's pretty cool or or like that's the they do a like funk version of every song rather than you know you know, old timey vaudeville. Postmodern jukebox, <laughs> but it only gets one channel. Nice. There you go. It's just the funk channel. Um, but yeah, we went on a, a, a deep dive on YouTube the other night and watched like 20 other videos in a row. And they're all really good. They're clearly like recorded live. In we is a strong word. <laughs> they record. They were clearly like recorded live in studio. So they had this this very like fun 
live vibe to it, which I, I, I miss these days. Um, so yeah, Scary Pockets. They've done some uh, collaborations with great uh, singers like Antoine Stanley from uh, Wolfpack and a bunch of other uh, great people whose names I don't know. And, and they've had uh, other cool musicians like uh, the bass player from Reggie Watts' band on James Corden or uh, Adam Neely from uh, his insane YouTube uh, music theory deep dives. Uh, I believe Corey Wong has played with them, if not live, in studio a couple times. Uh, you know, uh, my, 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 my number one guitar boy, Corey mm. Wong. Um, so, yeah, Scary Pockets. There you go. Get yourself some funk. I thought you were gonna make us listen to you talk about Bela Fleck. I'm so happy. Oh um, no, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to save uh, Bella Fleck for the. Ugh, ah. I want you to know that I said it correctly for you. I know. So there's been a running joke among some of my friends since high school about purposely mispronounce, mispronouncing Bela Fleck's name as Bella Fleck. Which, if we were doing it to him in person, would be shitty and rude. But doing it to Brandon, a white boy who just can't stand to not correct somebody, it's very funny. Yeah, and, and just just say, saying it incorrectly as a bit, I was just like, ugh. It has bad mouthfeel. Um, let me see. I, I figured out. I figured out what I'm going to do. I can't believe I forgot about this when I was trying to think of something for our last show. But um, I this week I am into uh, I unabashedly love uh, Lucifer and it's like just great. And it's for sure a CW show. And then it got moved to Netflix and whatever. Anyway, season five came out. I haven't seen that show yet. Season five came out last Friday and I watched all of it and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and I think it's really interesting the direction they're going in it now. Uh, they basically wrapped up the, like, a lot of the, like, hanging plot points from previous seasons or, like, kind of weird stuff in this one. And it felt like a really nice, like, restart of the show in a way of, like, this is now establishing it as, like, last season was their own, was their first season on Netflix. And I feel like they were still really beholden to everything that was done on the network. And, you know, they had to follow some of that up. They had to kind of see that story through. And they did for the most part at the end of last season. And they tied up a couple loose ends in this one. But it, this season felt like a really nice piece for the show to kind of launch itself in other directions and and kind of maybe do some bigger, cooler things, maybe get a little more comic booky than they were when it was on Fox. And so that was that was cool. I think it's a very transitional season, but I'm excited to see where it goes. If someone wasn't into that show, what would you tell them that it's like? Like, I've never seen Lucifer, so what would you tell me to get me to watch the show? It's it is it is ultimately you know a cop show. It is a procedural, so you you kind of have to know that and be into that. They do solve a mystery a week, but the mystery, of course, always ties back to whatever their problems are. It's it's basically somewhere between like Bones and Supernatural. <laughs> okay, okay. So Angel. Kind of, but like, yeah, it's, it, it, but it's not, it's not Angel. It's not that broody. Um, it, it, it's really fun and it's not, people know that it's like based on a comic book and they're like, oh, I don't like comic book stuff, but like, it's really divorced from its comic book origins in a big way. I, I didn't know that it was based on a comic book. That's awesome. Yeah. It's based on a Vertigo book. Um, Lucifer is a Neil Gaiman creation. That's part of the Sandman universe. Oh. Oh, I didn't know he was a Gaiman boy. Yeah, it's uh, so like it's it's one of the DC TV. It's like the only DC TV property that was like completely divorced from the Arrowverse and all of that stuff. Right. Um, and it really just feels more like a supernatural cop show. 
and it's fun. There's like a lot of really good, uh, there's a lot of really good, um, sibling fights, which I always get a kick out of because I love nothing more than something really specific. I love a sibling fight on TV because they always get so wildly specific or just in life, you know, because there's two people arguing and they can be arguing. But when it's a sibling fight, you can be arguing about something. And next thing you know, you go, well, you know what you did to me when you were 10 years old, motherfucker. I've seen sibling fights on the streets and it's pretty fucking awesome. It's pretty yeah. great. Yeah, they get so I love a specific fight. The most like escalated fights I've ever had with my brother came from like something completely unrelated that just happened to like escalate to oh god we're throwing punches now <laughs> uh that's super funny my brother just moved here um yesterday he moved here from New from brooklyn yesterday that's a wild thing to do this year congratulations yeah well i mean it's i mean it's dope it's it's kind of just it's very cool because it's like you know, New York is a haven for um, people getting sick. And I mean, out here it is too, but it's more spread out. So I feel like you have kind of a better chance of that. But that's funny. I did talk to my brother yesterday and he was like, just talking about fighting when we were kids. And I remember he was like, you remember that time you said you wouldn't, you wouldn't hit me because you said you wouldn't be able to stop. And I'm like, that's every time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I haven't hit you that I haven't like, I've hardly hit you. Because it's he's an older brother, so it's like, dude, I no, I got to get back for like a lot of stuff. I'm not gonna hit him now. We've gone too far, you know. It's been too many years. I like, you know, the coin is the coins aren't good anymore. But you know, it's there, it's there. <laughs> My brother always brings up this like thing that I have zero recollection of ever happening that he insists happened. Uh, that I apparently tried to drown him in the pool at one of our houses. Uh, when we were younger and like I have zero recollection of this but I'm also like trying to also combine like four other potential moments it could have been yeah. that his like I was too brain has put together <laughs> I I have it's so funny that like a thing that was so formative to him I just have like no recollection of not and not even like really thinking hard on it you know yeah yeah and from what I understand, that's also what being a parent is like. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Yeah. I'm not ready. This thing that was so formative to me that you don't remember. Yep. <laughs> well, fun fact, you don't have to have kids. Uh, that's the Intuit Pod guarantee. Yeah, that is the Intuit Pod guarantee. You don't have to have kids. And then you don't have to have that experience. I was just relating it to something I've heard. I hear that. I hear that. Um... So one thing I've really been into this week, um, I'm not going to say much about, <laughs> I'm not going to say much about the precursor to it. Um, my wife, Maria Felix, and I are working on an Al Pacino project. That's all I'm going to say. Um, yeah. But in doing that, we've done some research on our young friend, Mr. Al Pacino. And Al Pacino put out a... Um, a documentary and a movie that are bundled together on Amazon. And if you have Amazon, holy shit, watch this fucking thing because it's crazy. Um, it's called Wild Salome slash Salome. Salome was a play that was written by Oscar Wilde. And um, Al Pacino saw a performance of this back in 2010. He loved it. It drove him crazy. And he decided to make a play of it in London, a live play that would run for a few weeks, 
also shooting the movie while the play is happening and also making a documentary about the play and the movie as the whole thing is happening. All three things at once. It's tremendous. It's one of those things where it's like, it's like, this is a doc. This is like, it's gotta be a mockumentary because there are these moments, these sweet spinal tap moments where he reveals himself and you're like, he is not serious. But then you look at his face and you're like, he is. And he's like, (laughs) He goes to London. He sees a sculpture of uh, uh, Oscar Wilde. He's like, <laughs> I'm sorry. He sees, a, he sees a statue of Oscar Wilde. He's like, hello, Oscar. Oh, you're up there talking to me. Hello. And he's having a conversation with the statue on camera. And it's like. Wow. Bold choice. Big moves. Rhea put it perfectly. There's like a moment where Harry Dean Stanton goes to see the play. And. A great start. <laughs> she, she, she sees her walking up. Involving Harry Dean Stanton at the top of any story means it's just going to be chef's kiss. Just amazing. The look on his face when he goes into the venue to go see it. He's like, I got to go see my friend Al Pacino make an ass out of himself one more time. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part, the best part of this entire thing is he's playing he's playing the, um, uh, the role of King Herod in the story of Salome which is originally a Bible story. And he plays the king, and Salome is played by Jessica Cha- uh, Jessica Chastain. So when she's on stage, he sees her, and he keeps on saying this line. He's like, hello, Salome, dance for me. Dance for me, Salome. But he, he has this thing happening to his voice. He sounds kind of Trumpish. Okay. But it's, but it's before Trump. It's nuts. <laughs> Guys, everybody, if you're listening... Just a New Yorker thing, I guess. I, it must be. I must do it sometimes too, apparently. But holy shit, if you have Amazon, fucking watch this. Please. Please. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. That that sounds like if you had like a... Dance for me. Dance for me, Salome. That, that's like if you, if you bundled Apocalypse Now and Heart of Darkness together. Uh, or Hearts of Darkness, the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've I've never been the the biggest Pacino fan. You but will that be. Sounds really, <laughs> really fascinating. Not as fascinating as his Dunkachino commercial, which is his his crowning artistic uh, achievement. Al Pacino. It's not Al anymore. It's Dunk. Dunkachino. Don't mind if I do. What's my name? Dunkachino. It's a whole new game. Dunkachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. Attica, who I lucky like. This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17 lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. Dunkachino. This blows Dunkachino out of the fucking water. Shit. That is. Wild Salome slash Salome. Holy fucking shit. I saw Pacino in a a Broadway production of Glengarry Glen Ross, mm-hmm. uh, which led to the most confused I've ever seen a Broadway audience before. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> that means the, he's doing his job. It's the, great. the the cast was was 
really good. It was Pacino as uh, the old guy, uh, Shelley Levine. Yeah. Um, in the movie, he was uh, Jack Lemmon. Um, uh, David Harper from Stranger Things was the office manager. Uh, Richard Schiff from The West Wing and John C. McGinley from Scrubs were the, the two other guys. Wow. And it was like a really good, a really, really great cast that Pacino was super miscast in. <laughs> but the the moment of just utter confusion for the, the Broadway audience was uh, because Glengarry Glen Ross is, is a, is a two act play. The first act is only about 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there has to be a complete scene change from the Chinese restaurant to the, the office where act two takes place. So there was an intermission after about 30 minutes. And when the lights came up, everyone was just like, Wait, what? Uh, what? Uh. <laughs> like, I'm not even halfway done with my, you know, $25 uh, Broadway drink. Um, I don't need a Glengarry Glen Ross on Broadway t-shirt. Uh, I don't need to pee again. What the fuck am I supposed to do? I love it. I love it because I know Al Pacino is probably on the side, like on backstage, watching the crowd, watching the confusion, being like, yeah, all right. I got him. Got him right in the palm of my hand. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's real good. Now let me pound another Dunkachino and get back on stage. I'm going to wreck them when they come back. They're going to be destroyed. (laughs) Speaking of big Hollywood weirdos, Mm. we are here to talk about another big Hollywood weirdo, Ralph Bakshi. Yes, 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 yes. I love Ralph Bakshi's stuff. I do. What is it? What is it about? Uh, how did how did you become introduced to uh, Mr. Bakshi, and what is it about his work that that makes him you... your favorite animation pervert? Yeah, no, well, yeah, my favorite animation pervert by far. I mean, besides <laughs> besides probably Robert Crumb. Um, Fair. Again, I mean, they both. I mean, I could see like if a Mr. Natural movie was ever going to be made, that you know Bakshi would be the guy to do it. And again, I mean, we got Fritz the Cat from. Um, so that would make yeah. sense. But there's a difference between fun animation pervert and problematic an- animation sure, pervert. Sure, sure. And, and historically, Robert Crumb hates Ralph Bakshi for what he did to Fritz the Cat. Wait, we'll get there. We'll get there. Start with how you got introduced to him. When I was about 13, 14, I'm in Brooklyn. My best friend's dad owns a video store called World of Video in Greenwich Village. Great video store, tons of stuff. And when I was working there, I was like, you know, completely clueless kid and i was um you know i was just like in the comedy section nonstop, being like i'm gonna rent basketball and like everybody working there was just like you are a child and you need to start watching better stuff like they'd be like you know oh you like that movie 12 monkeys cash and i'd be like yeah i like that movie they'd be like watch lajete that's what it was based on i'm like oh really okay and then I'm going and watching fastbender <laughs> and i'm watching like a lot of like you know Renoir and like a lot of other stuff a lot of like a lot of um, foreign movies and art movies. I'm, ima- I'm imagining 13-year-old Cash at a video store in Brooklyn going, one La Jete, please. <laughs> exactly. I'll have a La Jete. And also, um, can I please also get basketball? <laughs> my, I have a permission slip from my mom. Yeah, ridiculous. But also, I mean, I had full reign of the store because, I mean, I knew the owner. He was just like, you know, this great guy. And But then I started slowly discovering stuff in the cult section. I was going to see you know, Man Bites Dog, and I was watching uh, Brother from Another Planet. And, I mean, and I had already seen 
I grew up, uh, my dad is an architect and he would also get a lot of animation stuff for us as kids. So we would watch Fantastic Planet. I saw Heavy Metal at a very early age and that movie is fucking amazing. I don't know why I'm not saying that I like that. I'm really into that because I am obsessed with that movie. Um, Hell yeah. Heavy Metal is absolutely amazing. I'm looking in my ki- in my living room right now and I have the, the B poster, uh, 40, 40 inches by 60 inches hanging up next to me and it's great. Feel free, because because so much of that stuff kind of cross pollinates. Feel free to talk about heavy metal as much as you want. This this show is designed for tangents. That's the thing. It, that's the thing. It's like all these like all these early animation pieces, like Fantastic Planet, uh, Watership Down, um, Animal Farm, Heavy Metal. They have this kind of like traumatizing. Yeah, but that's the thing. Traumatizing in a way that can lead you into a larger world of art. And that's what I was really about because I've always sculpted and I always would sit at home when my friends were out doing, you know, God knows what. I was like, I'm just going to go home. I'm going to watch heavy metal for the like the 10th time. Um, so when I was there, um, <laughs> the cult section was what I started gravitating towards. You know, um, all these other movies that I had previously mentioned and, you know, Repo Man and all this other stuff. Repo Man is one of my favorite movies of all time. But Repo Man rules. Next to all these other movies, I saw – a copy of um, Hey Good Looking. And I saw a copy of, uh, right next to it, Heavy Traffic. And also Fritz the Cat. And I remember, I looked at the name of the guy who directed it, and I just took him home. And being a kid, coming, and I think part of it is the fact that these stories and these characters all revolved around New York in the sixties and the seventies. And I had already been reading Robert Crumb at that point. I would already, I was already reading like Harvard, like Harvard P car and like all these other random comics. And, um, just to see this animation done where it was crude. It was very heavily racially stereotyped. It was, and here's the thing about this stuff. There is no center of a good story in any of his films besides maybe besides, Fire and Ice, Wizards, which is my favorite film of his, and Lord of the Rings. And the only reason Lord of the Rings has a, has a narrative in it is because of Tolkien. <laughs> so, and maybe American Pop, but not really, because it's kind of just like, it's, it's like an amalgamation of a whole bunch of different stories. But I discovered this stuff when I was 13 years old, and as soon as I watched one, it was like, dude, what the fuck is this? It's so, it's so wrong, it felt like it was right you know i mean there is not yeah. a positive it, 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 it italian americans black americans latino americans puerto ricans it's you know polish people everything in these movies is a bad stereotypical representation but there's something about these movies it might be that i just saw them when i was young and it might be that they're crude but I really can appreciate it. I really, really can. There is something about, especially if you're someone that that does already have an inclination towards uh, animation, which I'm saying, like, you know, you have an inclination towards communism or something. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, that, yeah, I get it. I think everybody has that moment where they finally see something that's animated but isn't, like, Disney, you know, or isn't like, you know, something that is sort of safe and approved for kids. Yeah. And, and like, I think Bakshi is sort of one of the kind of tried and true 
uh, versions of that. Like, like I had the exact same experience, but it was with uh, that like crappy South Park short that they made that turned into the show. You know, and it very much did the same thing of like, oh, this is this feels real. This feels grounded, but like it's also like I feel like I shouldn't be watching this. You know, right? There's something about pulling a curtain back and. It was in a way. It was kind of just like, "Hey, this is this happy world, you young prepubescent teenager, and this is how people are, and this is how people think." Meanwhile, you've got an art piece dedicated to how people really think, and how people really are, and how racism really is, and how classism really is. And yeah, I mean, and like it's gritty and grotesque. It's, it's, it's gritty. It's foul, and is mixed like an Altman movie. Exactly. It's foul. It's dark. It's really fucked up, and I love it. I mean, but I mean, and then again, I mean, I mean, I was in, I'm, I'm in a, I'm a punk rock guy, so I've been in like hardcore and all that stuff. And I mean, when I first got into that, I remember I just went back and I was looking for good sound bites in all these boxy movies. <laughs> and oddly enough, we found a really fucking good one in uh, in a movie called Coonskin that we used on our second album, and randomly randomly once in a while somebody will hit me up and be like dude is that from goonskin and i'll be like yeah and they're like that's <laughs> fucking awesome i love that movie and um it's it's crazy man i mean but then again if you're also a fan of like 70s cinema if you're a fan of black exploitation there's a wonderful wonderful black exploitation movie called black uh, um um willie dynamite um and uh of course the the great the most wonderful black exploitation movie of all time, The Mac, with Max Julian and, and Richard Pryor. They all leak into this animation. And all these 70s movies and all these like 60s kind of movies leak into it too. You know, I mean, there's 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 characters that look like Lee Marvin. There's another character like that looks like Lee Van Cleef. There's another character that that looks like Charles Bronson. It's like but meanwhile, I mean, there are these weird amalgamations of like racial and weird guys that have this one odd point of view. It's it's all these movies are like, they're like vignettes. They're, they're, they're I mean, they're perfect for sketch writers, honestly, because they're perfect for comedy sketch writers because there's not a huge story there. They're like small sketches that are interwoven and loosely held together to be like a story. Like at the end of, at the end of heavy traffic, the characters turn into, from animated from animated versions of themselves, they turn into real characters, and the uh, the protagonist in the movie uh, sees the other protagonist, and they haven't talked to each other that much, but then they see each other, and somehow they're having a conversation about something that we don't know about, and then the movie ends with a really amazing cover of of a uh, uh, Scarborough Fair um, by this um, by this Latin Latin um, conga group. Which is fucking awesome. It's such a good it's such a good version of that song. Um, watch Heavy Traffic, guys. Um, it's just it, it's so good. It's so good. But at the same time, I mean, as a writer, you're like, this makes no fucking sense. But as a fan, you're like, I don't really care. You're not you're not going on a journey to hear to see a story. You're just gonna see some fucked up stuff. And that is awesome. Like the journey of it is to go into Bakshi world, right? In, in in much the same way that like the pleasures of a Wes Anderson movie is going into Wes Anderson world, exactly for two hours. Where exactly, like, it's not going to be you know interesting. Well, okay, but <laughs> right, exactly, 
I mean, I mean, for, 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 from person to person. Yeah. But I mean, and any and in that, in just much like any any other director, I mean, you've got your highs and you've got your lows. I mean, like Cool World, for example, one of the most popular Rob Bakshi movies because of the fact that it came. I think I, honestly, I think it's because of the star powers that were in it. I mean, he had Brad Pitt and Kim, Kim Basinger back in the day and it was like the nineties and everything. And I remember seeing that movie advertised in a bunch of the, in like a back of, in, I'm sorry, in the back of a bunch of like Marvel comics. It was everywhere. And that's the one where it's, it's live action, Brad Pitt and everything else is animated, right? Yes. Brad Pitt is the, well, didn't they have to redo like two thirds of the movie? They did. Just like didn't work. Yeah, they did because much like much in Bakshi in I'm sorry in Bakshi style, he brought it to the um, the studio and they were like, "This doesn't make any sense, dude." And he, they're like, "You got big names, like you gotta you gotta weave this together." Yeah, this is a Brad Pitt movie now. You gotta make it make sense. Exactly, and in that in that and probably for the, not for that reason because it was later Bakshi, and I think he had already hit his prime. Um, but then again, I don't want to I don't want to pigeonhole anybody to be a certain age to make something great. I think that with that movie, it was the worst one because, in a way, it was the most commercialized one. He couldn't do this this scummy, stereotyping, crude, majorly violent things that he was doing in those other movies. And honestly, because it's a backsheet piece, it kind of took away from it. It's like if you were to see a Crumb movie done on, like, the WB. It'd be like, you can't fucking do that here, man. You can't do that. There's no, there's not going to be any violence on this thing. There's not going to be any, you know, murder. And I mean, and, and because it's a, a crumb piece, that's what you want to see. And again, I'm not saying that that's what you are looking for. I'm saying that in this art piece, that's what makes it different from everything else. And you've got to be able to appreciate the dark and the light. Oh, totally. Like, you know, going in, this is a thing that is going to be kind of ugly yes. and kind of difficult and kind of, you know, make you look at a lot of cultural things you're maybe not quite ready to confront. Right. Um, and maybe you should. Maybe you should. That's that's the crazy part about I'm sorry I'm railroad, railroading talking about this. I'm super fucking into it. Um, oh, no, no, no. Please do. That's literally the point of the show. This is that's why we want people here to tell us about it. I don't know about this. I'm learning. It's it's kind of crazy. I mean, but there's also like as someone who's like um and you can be any age honestly. If you're into really cool fantasy stuff, if you're into like crime movies, if you're into just kind of like dark fucked up stuff, but on a human level and also on a mythical level, this stuff is for you. And I mean, I remember when I was really into like Frank Frazetta for uh, like, I've, I've always loved Conan and I've always loved um, every aspect, every aspect of like the barbarian and that sort of thing. And Frank Frazetta is an amazing illustrator who has done so many covers of so many sci-fi and fantasy books that it's it's unbelievable. I have a oh, book yeah. of his paintings and they're tremendous. And Fire and Ice was a movie that Frank Frazetta and Ralph Bakshi came together to do. Also... Bakshi was a kind of a pioneer for rotoscope animation. 
I was about I was about to say, yeah, his rotoscoping. Yeah. I know that the Lord of the Rings, I think, is the thing that most people that he's done that most people would have heard of. Right. I think that in like American Pop. American Pop was a movie of his that came out, I just want to say in maybe late nineties, early two thousands. And again, American Pop is kind of different different than any of the other things because they're not it's not crime related. It's not it's not violent or anything. It's the story of American music and it's a drama. And again, there's no real story or real narrative that goes through it. But at the same time, you're seeing rotoscope versions of the Mamas and the Papas and Hendrix and the Who and Cab Calloway and Otis Redding and all these other blues musicians and it's like Muddy Waters. And it's also really, it's just really fucking cool. If if the audience doesn't know, uh, rotoscoping is when you film uh, live actors or use live reference footage and then animate over it. it it's what they did for uh, Waking Life and right. uh, Scanner the old, Darkly. Old yeah, and the Superman old cartoons. the old uh, Fleischer Superman cartoons, Betty Boop, that kind of thing. Right. It gets it it gets this fluid motion, this fluid animation that is really, really incredible. And what Bakshi did really different about that, I, th- I think for some of the major scenes where they had a lot of people, you know, on horseback or something like that for like Lord of the Rings or Wizards, um, they would just animate very simply on top of it. But for those other characters, they would just take it to the nth degree. They would make a they would make a really a really hugely weird animated face just with you know exaggerated uh features on top of a human and that stuff i mean that's kind of what people are doing now with um 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 god what's it called mocap yeah thank you motion capture so it's it's kind of the precursor to motion capture oh absolutely but done in the 70s in the 80s in 70s 80s and it's just it's really fucking cool it it really flirts with the uncanny valley in a way that not even motion capture can do where it's just like okay this is so uh cats <laughs> yeah there you go it's the... <laughs> guys don't 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 relate ralph back to the cats i mean honestly you can i'm just saying <laughs> i'm just saying that don't say that motion capture does not approach the uncanny valley that's 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 fair from fritz the cat to cats <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my TED talk. Oh my god, God! I, I, I am. There is a non-zero chance that there is some Fritz the Cat Skimbleshanks uh, erotica somewhere on the internet, and I challenge you, into it squad, to find it and send it straight to me, please. You can go to Ao3 yourself and search that. <laughs> Not gonna do that. Also, there's probably just, there's there's just lewd Fritz the Cat stuff out there. <laughs> Just pretty gnarly. Basically, from what I understand, he made Fritz the cat because he was mad about his divorce. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the odd thing is that there's a there's a sequel um, to Fritz the Cat called Nine, um, The Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat. Okay. And of and in that movie, very similar to the Bakshi style stuff, he didn't do this one though, but um, very similar to it, it kind of just goes on this weird journey throughout history where Fritz was, you know, this cave cat, and he was also um, in the Nazi army. All right. So it's Zelig. No, no, don't get me wrong. It's re- it's really fucking crazy because he ends up killing Hitler because Hitler wanted to have sex with him, and <laughs> he didn't want to do it. Um, 
Who ha- who among us hasn't had Hitler try to hit it? Oh, so we get deep. Also, Hitler has one ball in the movie, and that's really funny. Um, All right. But yeah, there's also the devil in the movie. It's just it, he's on the river Styx, and that's when he meets the devil. It's like all these little crazy, interesting things. But that's in the sequel, and that has nothing to do with Bakshi. Well, it kind of does, but still, whatever. That sounds awesome. It's very, very cool. Um, if okay, so I'm sorry, you guys have another question about this? Um, <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say the the other sort of you know uh, side of of Bakshi's work is he had a, a brief little return in the '90s yeah. as the like head guy of the new adventures of mighty mouse he did i didn't know that yeah yeah there there were they did a, a mighty mouse series back in the i think late 80s or, or, or early 90s and a lot of the creative staff from that went on to it sort of got split evenly between ren and stimpy and rocco wow really yeah, like like John Kay was the supervising director for the first season of this thing, and I forget the name of the guy who did it for the the uh, second season, but he's uh, you know gone on to create other very successful stuff. But it, it's it's this really it could not be farther from that kind of like gritty Bakshi vibe from his his earlier work. But it does have they went all in on like zaniness mm-hmm. in that very like hyper caffeinated kind of early 90s way that like was sort of easy to make fun of right but this this show like really went all in on it and was sort of the first in the wave of like that kind of 90s uh animation wave of like the nicktoons and stuff like that and was doing a lot of that stuff uh even before uh, which is which is interesting because it doesn't really get brought up too too much in the the greater uh, animation conversation. But like, and and they were doing some like wild stuff. Like the third episode was just like a full on parody of the animated Batman series. Uh-huh. Uh, the it was like weird. It was meta. It was like weird and silly they they did all sorts of parodies it, it's it's wild yeah it was a big swing to let ralph bakshi take over mighty mouse i think it worked but it was wild yeah I, I, i'm looking at the images right now and i remember it it was i remember that it kind of had that yeah i remember it, it kind of had that bakshi feel but also had like kind of like ren and stimpy ishness to it um oh, yeah and like the the sort of canonical story about it is that he was pitching at i think cbs and they, they said, you know, well, hey, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I have the rights to Mighty Mouse. And they're like, oh, great. Let's let's do that then. And then he went home and apparently showed up at John Kay's house, like frantic going, we need to figure out who owns the rights to Mighty Mouse so I can buy the rights to Mighty Mouse. Oh. Um, so they frantically tried to figure it out. And then turns out CBS already owned the rights to Mighty Mouse. But they didn't know. But they, yeah, they, they just hadn't thought about it. So... It all wound up being moot in the end. The interesting when we were watching, we were watching some of the Mighty Mouse the other night, and I was I was kind of looking at it, and I was like, it, it kind of both tonally and stylistically feels like the exact middle, and and time wise, I guess it kind of is. It feels like the animated show bridge between Hanna Barbera and like Warner Brothers. It's it's like the connection between you know Ben and. Ben and Jerry's Tom and Jerry and Animaniacs like oh totally there's a there's a few old cartoons that are like that like Danger Mouse is another one of them where it feels like it's not this it's not that it's kind of in the middle yeah 
Like it's not risque, but it very well could be. It was probably made by risque people. Like contemporary wise, watching it, it had a very Batmite feel. If anybody here has ever seen like Batmite episodes of. And like it was very much going out of its way to be like, look how it was trying to be a cartoon, like capital C cartoon in the way that a lot of the like mostly licensed shows in the 80s sort of weren't right and and i think that in that way it is sort of following in the the bakshi tradition of of being of pushing boundaries just in a a completely different direction totally totally bakshi's it's it's weird his stuff is like like i said it's it's some of his stuff is like it has this brilliant brilliant idea to it but the the story follow-through is why he needs a partner he needs somebody else there i think like that's why fire and ice worked it was like you know i mean women are objectified in it and like you know story is pretty bad but it's beautiful and it's beautiful because there is some sort of a sense of control of the story because frank frazetta is on the side and he's like hey ralph fucking they have to go here and this thing has to happen just just p- pretend that there's a narrative. Exactly. Pretend things happen for a reason. <laughs> exactly. Pretend that there's a point. Pretend there's a point. But again, I mean, my favorite Ralph Bakshi movie is um is called Wizards. That's the one that's his, like, fucking baby. That's the only one that he actually, like, did fucking everything in. Because I'm looking at a chart. Yeah. I found a chart of things that he his films that is the only one that he writes directs produces and acts in yeah it's 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 insane and again from beginning to end if you love movies and films from the 70s and if you love that certain look if you love the look of something that if you like 70s wizards yes honestly yeah but you can like anything from the 70s and if you watch this it will have something in it that you will really appreciate plus the whole point of the movie is science and technology versus magic. And that idea is very fucking cool because they go that into rules. they go into Nazism, they go into religion, they go into all these other small aspects of what people believe and what that means versus something else. And it's not saying it's not it's not pulling punches, it's not saying right or wrong, it's just being much like his other films. It's just like, "Hey, look at this." Look at this fucked up thing. What do you think of this? And that is fucking awesome. So uh, Wizards is my favorite by far. I watched the first probably 10 minutes of that last night, and it looked like a a prog rock cover come to life. It's great, man. And I was so here for it. Yeah, we were watching it, and I was like, what is happening? And he was like, honestly, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, if you if you watch it, if you watch it completely all the way through, you will see a very clumsy. It's, it's clumsy. It's clunky. But at the same time, I mean, I could write I could write an album about the movie. Oh, totally. Easily. Well, hit me up if you want to do that. <laughs> Ralph Bakshi is the kind of guy that in the story meeting you ask, so why do these things happen? And he's like, reasons? I don't know. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. He's like, well, we're, we're watching it. He's, he's the epitome of show, don't tell, but he forgets to put any tell in. Exactly. Exactly. And there's something pretty great about that. He's like, I put it all on the page for you. I don't know what you're missing. <laughs> we're just not in his mind and um there's another really um i'm trying to think of what the year that fuck what was the year that uh lord of the rings came out i want to say it's like 2004 
No, no, no. I mean the the um the Bakshi animated one. <laughs> Sorry, I'm joking. With uh, <laughs> almost, I'm all on it. Um, I think it came out 78, 78, like 79 that. or something. Oh, like I can that. tell you. Sorry, uh, Wizards came out in seventy seven. Lord of the Rings came out seventy eight. Okay, great. Um, Rankin um Rankin Bass Productions made uh the nineteen seventy seven version of The Hobbit, which is honestly so much better than the other movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much better than the other movie. The Hobbit is a fantastic, fantastic animated movie that I saw very, very young, way before I saw any of this stuff, because it is a movie for kids, but it's also done in a really beautiful way. Like the the, the trolls are beautiful. Gandalf's great. This is one of those things that nobody wants to say in public, but when you say it to them, they're like, oh yeah, me too. Hobbit, fucking really interesting book. Lord Fellowship of the Ring, boring as fuck. Did not finish. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like, so, like, that's just, like, base-level storytelling as well. It's not yeah. surprising that the Hobbit movie is better. Yeah, it's 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 so weird. So, but, th- but this movie came out in 77, and then it was followed up by Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings in 78. 78, very, very good. But, again, Rankin-Bass, they had the element of story. So, The Hobbit is a superior movie in every single way. And that's the strange thing, because being into Bakshi this much... And loving his stuff as much as I did as a kid and as much as I do now, I also have to cop to that fact. It's like, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good. But because it's not good, it's kind of great. That's a very a very adult moment when you can when you first start to realize, well, I don't think this is good. Yeah. But that's fine. <laughs> this isn't good, but it's amazing is 100% the I think you'd be into it sweet spot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, the, the cat's sweet spot. Yeah, and I mean, and that's that's the stuff to a T. That's this stuff to a T. I mean, if I had to come up with any words about all this stuff, I mean, the first word that comes to mind is vile. It's vile. It is dark. It's dirty. It's wrong, and it's just fantastic. But also in that animation animation vibe of the stuff that I was into at the time, and I was talking about heavy metal a little bit earlier, and I will jump right the fuck back into it. Um, heavy metal is one of those things also where it's like, it's different. It's different than Bakshi stuff because heavy metal has a point of view. Heavy metal is, it's a collection of stories surrounding one, one thing. Is it like a, is it a world or is it, I've never been in, my only knowledge of heavy metal is that like there was a movie and then that South Park episode that's just 20 minutes of, of gags about like, Gaze upon my daughter's rocking tits. <laughs> heavy metal, uh, before this was a movie, heavy metal was a collection of short stories that were put into a, um, a magazine. Heavy metal magazine came out first. Again, all, all, all like um, illustrated short stories, a lot of Frank Frazetta stuff in there, a lot of um, my favorite illustrator of all time, Richard Corbin. Um, a lot of um, God. Let me look behind me and look in my fucking bookcase to see who else is in there. Just tons, tons of amazing, amazing, amazing artists had all these stories in heavy metal, and then they had the chance to make a movie. And the movie was made by Ivan Reitman of Ghostbusters and you know uh, National Lampoon's fame. And because he did it, he got a lot of other people who were in the whole world of his comedy uh, to do voices for the movie. 
Like John Candy does a voice in the movie. Rick, Rick Moranis does a voice in the movie. Eugene Levy does a voice huh. in the movie. Catherine O'Hara does a voice in the movie. It's um. How did I not know that? That's those are like all my favorite people. They're not advertised on the poster. It's just kind of this weird thing, and you see Ivan Reitman's name on it. But again, amazing artists: um, Richard Corbin, Angus McKee, Dan O'Bannon, Thomas uh, Warkington, Bernie Wrightson. These are all really great comic artists, and they had these stories that were put in the heavy metal magazine. So after a little bit of time, they started making this animated movie. And the animated movie centers around one topic, and that is this evil orb called the Lochnar. And the Lochnar uh, is the one narrative throughout every single story. Like there's um, – if you haven't seen Heavy Metal, holy shit, please watch it tonight. Just tonight. Just watch it. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, this doesn't have as much of a strong narrative as like Fargo or something like that. But Mm -hmm. for what it is, for this piece of art that it is, it is absolutely tremendous. And it changed my life. When I first saw it, I was just like, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be anything professional that I don't believe in. I'm going to follow what I love and what I believe because this is part of it hell yeah it's huge man which is about the most heavy metal thing you can do yeah and that is it's 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 great i mean the poster for heavy metal oh it rules this this is what it reads columbia pictures takes you on a takes you beyond the future to a universe you've never seen before a universe of mystery a universe of magic a universe of sexual fantasies a universe of awesome good a universe of terrifying evil, heavy metal, a step beyond science fiction. Fuck you. That is fucking awesome. That rules. Rock. It's amazing. Have you ever seen Rock and Rule? Yeah, I've seen Rock and Roll. Rock and Roll's great. It's a very similar thing. It's got it's got a fucking awesome soundtrack with like Cheap Trick and Blondie and Earth Wind and Fire and Lou Reed. That's the other thing too. They 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 pulled out no stops for the music. I mean, uh, the music is Black Sabbath, Blue Oyster Cult, You Already Got Me, Blue Oyster Cult, I'm already fucking there, Cheap Trick, Devo, uh, Nazareth, oh, yeah. Journey, Grand Funk Railroad, Stevie Nicks has an amazing song on this, on this, this, in this movie called Blue Lamp. It is my favorite Stevie Nicks song of all time. Um, uh, Don Felder from the Eagles. I'm not a big Eagles fan, but holy shit, Don Felder's fucking awesome. <laughs> the music he has in this movie are the two big iconic uh, iconic songs that you attach to this movie. So watch Ralph Bakshi stuff, but also, more importantly, watch Heavy Metal. <laughs> watch Heavy Metal. <laughs> this movie is amazing. And there's small little flaws in it, too, because there's like, when they were making it, they had to find some animators for the budget that they had. So they went to an animation, the animations, I'm sorry, the animation school of California, and they got a whole bunch of students to work on the movie. And there's some inconsistencies because you can tell when it changes from student to student, it's almost like panel to panel. It's almost like a group panel of people making a comic book, but it's an animated movie. It's like an exquisite corpse. It's very fucking awesome. It's very fucking awesome. Not to mention the stories that they have in there are fantastic. Watch heavy metal. <laughs> changed, changed my life for sure. For sure. I mean, Bakshi did too, but this was capital. Capital. Hell on yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to probably just go ahead and make this a Ralph Bakshi slash heavy metal episode. You absolutely should because I, <laughs> it's fucking amazing, <laughs> man. It's amazing. It's, a, it's absolutely fantastic. 
also there's a um there um the story the, the story uh my favorite part of heavy metal um i was mentioning before my favorite illustrator his name is richard corbin he um he's done some amazing books bloodstar really good um werewolf amazing amazing he did a he did a um a, um a graphic novel with um uh, with rob zombie called bigfoot oh, nice and bigfoot it's so it's so violent it's so fucking amazing so richard corbin <laughs> and rob like bigfoot's amazing so richard corbin has a section of this story uh and it's about a character named den d-e-n and den is based on a book that he wrote called neverwhere where uh, a person uh, in uh, some kind of a nerdy guy scientist in the seventies is sucked through a portal um, because he found that imp- that that thing I was talking about the Loch Ness uh, as a meteor that came down and struck in his backyard and it teleports him to a different world and in this world he just has to survive and it's fucking awesome man and we got shit last episode for trying to explain Gamehenge. don't worry about it don't worry about it that'll be a special joke for the listeners um (laughs) that actually sounds rad that sounds metal as fuck yeah (laughs) it's it's pretty great guys it's pretty great so i mean you know richard corbin is he's just a phenomenal artist and a phenomenal storyteller but everybody involved with heavy metal is and that's kind of what is separates that from the boxy stuff they're both amazing but heavy metal is just it's it's another world i think a lot of his older stuff too does it doesn't have a lot of the a lot of modern sci-fi very much has a lot of trappings of like we need to explain all of this like we have to explain like there's nothing in a marvel movie that's left ambiguous whereas sure. like everything about these these bakshi movies especially wizards is like it's so mixed media and it's so like it yeah. doesn't look right that like that's that's what i meant by he's all about show, show not tell except he forgets to tell you anything exactly Exactly, and, and in that is, and in that is kind of the 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 art. Which, like, it's it is a delicate balance because, like, look, I I work as a comic book editor, and I was, I mean, I Brandon, you might have heard me. I was on the phone with a client the other day, and I was saying, I was like, look, when you're creating your own world, I have no problem with you just being like, this is how it is. Fuck you. This is the premise of my story. I was like, you get to do that, but you kind of only get so many of them her story before you have to start giving the reader something and ralph bakshi just is like no fuck you all the way through yeah yeah and and it's it's wild because because i mean and i think if these things were comic books that it would be interpreted very differently very very differently but there's something about that this this rich dark animation comes across the way it comes across it's something entirely different it's something entirely different and it makes it somewhat more tolerable but at the same time i mean you've also got cool world and cool world cool world's just i mean it's the worst one well there's also there's something (laughs) like legitimizing about a film like the fact that like this had to go through enough hands to make its way to the big screen you know sort of gives something like a little bit more of a of a grandeur that right. I think it it you know has otherwise, and so like like legitimizing, you know, uh, even though this was weird and dark and like something you'd never seen before, still having it in a theater made it seem a little more like okay, I guess this is legit for as like weird and uncomfortable as it can be. Sure, although I can't imagine ever going to see a Bakshi movie in a theater because I can't. Um, I mean, at, at the time when it came out, because I I only imagine. I mean, I think a lot of his stuff was rated X. Sure. So I think it was only played in like 
for lack of a better word, like smut theaters, but I like that word. So <laughs> it's not wrong. No, it's great. It's right. It's very much right. I assure you. It's right. It's, it's smut. Smut's dope. I'm sure I remember. I'm sure they used to play Bakshi's at like Cinefamily or the New Beverly. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, but I mean, after the fact, I mean, after, after the seventies, like after 77, it's like, or after 82. Um, yeah. Then, 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 I mean, and I, I've, I've gone back and I, I think I watched, I think I saw, I think I saw Coonskin over at Tarantino's theater. Yeah, I did. I did. I saw it there with a buddy of mine. And I love the New Beverly. It, yeah, New Beverly's amazing. And the fact that they would even have <laughs> the, the, the fucking thirty-five millimeter film for it is fucking sick. Because you can't, you can't find, you can't find it anywhere. I have it on DVD, but I mean, I've never seen it anywhere else. Oh, wow. um, yeah, it's pretty nuts. By the way, if I can, if I can, real quick, yeah. I just wanted to um, hell yeah, uh, let let people know what I think the best one. <laughs> The best ones and the worst ones are. Oh, please. Please do. Actually, that's what I was just about to ask. And I was about to say, we all know, yes, heavy metal. But yes. if somebody wanted to try and start checking out Ralph Bakshi, we've given them a wild sample. Let's try and direct them. <laughs> okay. If you are going to try and watch a Ralph Bakshi movies, I would suggest first Wizards. Um, again, like I said, it has the most the most clear point of view. Um, it's a pretty good genre film and it's, it's, it's a little weak in characterization at times, but it's great. I think it's his best thesis statement. Yeah, it's great. It's a great statement. Um, second fire and ice. Amazing. Again, you know, Frazetta, Bakshi together. Tremendous. Third, um, it's a toss up. Third, I'm going to say, and a lot of people think it's pretty lame. No, a lot of people like it. Heavy metal. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm fucking shit. Heavy traffic. Heavy traffic. Heavy traffic, I would say, is his number three. Um, again, very stereotypical characters, pointless, uh, unconnected crime, fucking wild sex sequences, but it's fucking great. Uh, after that, uh, Coonskin. Coonskin, um, it's it, it's good because in a way it's trying to make fun of stereotypes and the portrayal of black people is actually pretty admirable and pretty good. Um, after that, Fritz the Cat. Fritz the Cat is nuts. <laughs> sex, sex scenes are pointless, but they're fucking, they're very entertaining. Um, after that, Lord of the Rings, just because it's Lord of the Rings and it's fantastic. Um, Hey, good looking is after that what followed. You got cooking. <laughs> hey, good looking is pretty great, man. It's 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 like a very it's got a very fifties vibe to it. So oh, it's fifties yeah. New York sixties violence. Um, American pop after that, and followed by the worst one, Cool World. Have you? Did you by any chance see the the short he did in like twenty fifteen with Matthew Modine? Oh wait, um. Last days, of uh, last days of Coney Island. Yeah, I did see it. I just, I don't know. I haven't heard anybody. I've never met anybody who's seen it. I have. <laughs> I have. Um, it was fine. From what I gather, it's on Vimeo somewhere. You can find yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's on Vimeo. You can definitely find it. Last Days of Coney Island. I, I wouldn't count it because it kind of feels like, it feels like. It, like I said, it's fine from what I gather. It's fine. It's like if somebody was, it's like, it's like George Lucas. He was, t if he looked back at Star Wars and was just like, I'm going to do it again. 
you're not doing <laughs> this you're not doing this thing to do it you're doing it because it was done before and you want to improve on it i think if you're going to tell a good story have a point of view and much like the other stuff it doesn't necessarily have it mm-hmm. but again be a completist it's good to watch it it's good to see it all right hell yeah well, Cash Abdulalik, thank you so much for <laughs> diving into the cool world of Mr. Uh, Ralph Bakshi. I know. He just keeps wanting to bring it back there. And the heavy world of heavy metal. Really loves it. Really loves it. <laughs> <laughs> if people wanted to find more hashtag hashtag content uh, on the internet, how could they do that? Um, you can go to my fucking uh, Instagram, hashtag hashtag, or um, look up Cash Abdulmalik on Facebook. I know it's not popular, but I don't care. I'm on there. And that is uh, Cash with a K, y'all. Cash with a K, A B D U L M A L I K. So I'm in a movie called The Nowhere In um, with uh, with Saint Vincent, directed by um, uh, Carrie from Portlandia. Uh, check that out. Is is she the coolest person in the world? Like it seems like she would be. She's very cool. We talked about the toadies for like 30, 45 minutes. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm also in a new movie called uh, um, John Bronco with Walton Goggins. And uh, I'm not sure when that's going to be released, but I'm in there. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Nice. Hell yeah, dude. Um, a- as always, you can find me at Hell Yes Brandon across all the different uh, corners of the hellscape we live on called the internet. Um, I've got stuff on SoundCloud, uh, Inkblot has stuff on SoundCloud and, and YouTube, including some fun live shows, uh, Happy Sappy Grown Up Hour is the third Wednesday of every month, uh, on twitch.tv slash pack theater, um, I don't know, when is this episode gonna be up? Uh, September 14th. Ah, um, if you're listening to this on the day it drops, uh, our next uh, show is Wednesday the 16th of September. Also our anniversary. Also our anniversary. <laughs> That's crazy. Thankfully it's pre-taped. <laughs> oh guys, I also forgot one more thing. Yeah. Um, I am the permanent resident guest on um, a podcast called The Bloody Podcast hosted by Maria Felix and Laurie Roggenkamp. They cover female uh, driven crime and female murder and it's a really fucking funny show that uh, my wife and Laurie are killing it on. So uh, go to wherever you can listen to podcasts and check that out. All right. Hell yeah. Beth, what about you? Uh, I can be found everywhere online at, at B scores with an underscore at the end. Uh, you can find the show everywhere online at, at Intuit Pod on Twitter, the hashtag Intuit Pod on Instagram, which is also an easy way to find my tag. Uh, and we're also on Facebook if, you know, you still exist there for some reason. Uh <laughs> And yeah, uh, we recently updated our link tree. So it now has all of the different ways that you can listen to the show. Uh, so, you know, tell your friends, let them, they have no excuse. It's on their favorite platform. I guarantee it. Uh, and if you find a platform we're not on, hit me up at IntuitPod at Gmail and let me know. I will get us there. Uh, as always, thank you to Kaylin West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting over is a lot like giving up off the album Falling is Like Flying. She's also been putting out a bunch of rad stuff during quarantine. Go check her out. That's all I got. Yeah. Um, so, Cash, thank you again. My absolute pleasure. Um, I need an out. I don't think I have an out. Oh, so, uh, oh no! How do you think podcast over started? It was invented because you didn't have an out. Yeah, but now I tr- I also try to do a, a some sort of d- dumb call callback callback. Ah, here I I got it now. Oh boy! 
All that being said, gaze upon my podcast rockin' tits and be over. Don't you, don't you wanna know? Podcast never cool.